welcome to the final episode of Series 6 with Paul Barnes. Paul was finding first-team football hard to come by at Stoke City and John Ward needed a goal scorer, so it was a perfect match as Barnes signed on the dotted line for York City in 1992. Four seasons later, Barnes had scored 79 goals for the club, including a memorable double at Old Trafford and four hat-tricks, cementing his place as one of the club's all-time great strikers. His goals were instrumental in winning promotion in 1993 and he won the Club Man of the Year award in 1994. Barnes left for Birmingham City in 1996 but remains a firm fan favourite. This episode is sponsored by Planning Prospects. If you have land or property and require planning permission, then get in touch via their website, planningprospects.co.uk. Planningprospects.co.uk. If you have enjoyed this series, then please consider donating via justgiving.com slash York Hospital Radio. Justgiving.com slash York Hospital Radio. Or by texting 5YH. B to the number 70450. That's texting 5YHB to the number 70450. All donations are hugely appreciated. But for now, and the final time this series, please enjoy the legendary Paul Barnes. Great to speak to you, Paul. I hope you will enjoy uh, looking back over your career, a career in which you scored over 200 goals, but one that may not have happened as I was reading up on your early sort of playing days and you, you snapped your knee ligaments, I believe, and were out I of the game did. for 16 months when you were 17. I mean, did you fear that your career might have been over before it sort of properly began? Yeah, 100%. I was very fortunate. I was at a great club, Notts County at the time, and an even greater person that helped me no end, Jimmy Cyril. A lot of people in football might not know Jimmy, a lot might as well, because he's a real character, but I was in a playing in a tournament in Amsterdam for Notts County in Blau Whip. We always used to go to the tournament there and I was just running along down the line, no one near me collapsed and came back and got a diagnosis of a, of a snapped anterior crucial ligament. And at the time, it was a huge operation I actually had an operation what they were doing a lot on American footballers at the time which was to put a screw top and bottom of the knee and replace it with a carbon fiber which then was supposed to allow um, scar tissue to grow around it and act as a, a replacement so yeah as you can imagine my apprenticeship as Notts County was whilst everyone was out training was cleaning boots and and, and then it was a little bit different with recovery because you went straight into plaster I went to a, a Harlowwood hospital where I was there for about three months and they used to do rehab and you'd be cycling like woodworking machines and things like this. So it was a real old school way of doing things into plaster. So you had all the muscle wastage, whereas now I think as soon as they can get your knee working, they do. And obviously that time of recovery has come right down. Yeah, and I, and I believe that you on your comeback game, I think you scored five goals in one game. I did, yeah. Goals Good research. Get. Do you know yeah. what people still ask me now at times, what's been your favourite game? And obviously there's a few York games in there, but the one that really sticks out in my mind is that first game back at Saltergate they played we played at Chesterfield's ground and I like to say it'd been about 18 months not playing and it was a Saturday morning the old youth league with Notts County and I did I managed to score five on my first game back so you can imagine after 18 months it was a real just took the pressure off a little bit and, and just gave you that confidence that your knee was going to be stable and gave you that confidence to come back and, and, and encourage you on so yeah still one of the most memorable games you scored I think 19 goals across five years at Notts County with some teammates that went right up to the top didn't they the pre- Premier League, like Tommy Johnson, Mark Draper, Craig Shaw, and I believe Gary Mills was also a former teammate of yours. I mean, you must look back on your time at Notts County pretty fondly then. I mean, you mentioned there before they were a great club. Oh, amazing, amazing time. Still one of my favourite times in football. I, I was obviously a Leicester boy and I'd gone to Leicester as a kid and Notts County as well. And I used to really enjoy my times over in Nottingham. In the summer holidays, we'd go over there for two weeks at a time. And there was a friend, Dean Yates, who went on to play for Derby and everything and Notts County that was a Leicester boy. So we used to go over there and it just seemed so right and Howard Wilkinson was at Notts County at the time and it was just a real good club for juniors. We'd go over and, and in, the, in the holidays and we'd be training against the first team, you know, as a young kid and I'd be leaving school in Leicester to go and play in the old Central League and I'd be playing with Rashid Harkook who'd come out of the World Cup, Brian Kilcline, people like this because obviously you didn't have the big squads like they do today. You got through in at the deep end. I just felt really comfortable there and obviously like you say, a few years behind me with the likes of Tommy Johnson and Mark Draper, Tommy used to come and stay at my house 
house in Leicester with my family here because he was obviously a Newcastle boy. So a lot of top players came out of Notts County there and obviously Millsy came as a player as well. So yeah, some good memories. And you moved on to uh, to Stoke and former World Cup winner Alan Ball signed you, didn't he? But he was replaced by Lou McCary, I think, within your first year there. And he seemed to favour Mark Steen and Wayne Biggins up front, despite the fact you had quite a prolific record for the reserves. I mean, you got 28 goals, I think, in, in one season and good goals to games ratio when you did actually play. Was it quite a frustrating time at Stover? Looking oh. from the outside, obviously looking at the figures that uh, you couldn't seem to sort of break into that team. Yeah, it was very, very frustrating. First of all, Alan Ball that signed me at, uh, at Stoke. What a man. If ever anyone like Jimmy Sewell just loved their football, he joining all the time, his enthusiasm, just a special guy, really was. And it was a frustrating time when Alan uh, came and Lou came in. He just, I don't know why, he just never, either didn't take to me or I always felt he didn't want me to get on. And uh, that's really sad to say, but I knew when I was coming towards the end of my contract at Stoke and that John Ward was sort of interested in me. And although it shouldn't happen, John would ring me and say, I'm coming to watch you in the reserves tonight. And like you say, that Stoke reserve team had some really good players in there. He ended up taking Ian Wright to Bristol Rovers when John were there. Tony Ellis had a lot of good players in there and we were doing well and I was scoring goals for fun and I remember scoring a hat-trick one night something like that and, and John actually rang me the next day he said he said listen I've been on the phone they won't tell me how much they want for you or anything like that so as players do I went and knocked on Lou's door and said listen Gaffer what, what's happening he said no one wants you I've not had a phone call about you or nothing and as a player I can't turn around and say well you can because I'm not allowed to I'm not supposed to know these things so you can imagine the frustration as a young player wanting to get on and being told things that weren't true and you never felt like they got the opportunity. And but saying that, there's some great players at Stoke. Mark Steen was there. Wayne Biggins, who was a top player. You know, they had good quality, but I always felt like I was never really going to get the chance there and I knew I'd probably had to run out of contract to get the opportunity to come away from that Yeah I mean I know Stoke offered you a new contract didn't they but did the fact that you were maybe sort of sub not used when Stoke won at Wembley in the last trophy final I mean there's 50,000 there did that kind of make up your mind about you needed to be playing week in week out because I think you were sort of approaching 25 at this point Yeah I, just, I, just, I loved my football and I was a player that loved playing football and I loved watching it you know and I just sort of I knew it was the right time you got to test yourself at some point you got to either drop down the leagues or you've got to give yourself an opportunity to drop down to come back up and I just knew it was the right time for me to go and A, hopefully go to a club where if I was playing well I was going to be in the team and give myself that opportunity it can be hard when you're training all week and you feel like it doesn't matter how hard I train how well I train or, or how well I play in the reserves I'm never going to get that opportunity and that's that can be quite demoralising sometimes as a young footballer and you just want to have the opportunity And am I right in sort of saying that John Ward tried quite a few times to sign you I mean I imagine it was probably quite a tough sell because it was you having to drop down at a lower level than what you've been playing at before and York City just come fourth bottom of the old fourth division I mean was it quite difficult for him to convince you or, or he was sort of on your case quite a bit yeah I, I got on so well with John from the word go people still ask me now who's your best manager you've played under and I'll say John Ward just a proper gentleman proper football man understood the game I understood what he wanted from me coming into York. He sold the club to me on where they were falling short and what difference he felt I could make to that. So I got on with John really well from the word go. And I think it was the right time for me because I was desperate to come and prove myself in the football league. It was, I think it was a good fit for John that he knew probably he needed a front man in that York team. He knew he had a good team at York and he probably thought if I had one or two, I think we can go up to the next level. So it just seemed the perfect fit and you know there was no one more desire for me to come into York and, and try and make things work for York and for myself personally and you scored on your debut didn't you against Rosebury was that a relief I mean York had paid 50,000 for you which I think was a record signing at the time and imagine as, as a striker you probably want to get off the mark as quick as possible did, did you feel relief or were you almost going to back yourself no I think I, I always sort of back myself but as a striker you're right you can go into a into a club and it can take you a while to get off the mark and you feel that little bit of pressure but probably more relief We'd got off to a winning start. Always tough game, Shrewsbury. Dean Spink playing centre-half. I remember it well. Still remember the goal now as I'm talking to. The keeper sort of parried it and put it into the far top high corner there. And I remember John laughing afterwards because he said, you went and celebrated with the fans sort of thing. He said, it's been a while since we've had a forward that goes and shows that enthusiasm to want to celebrate with the fans as well. So we had a really good start to that season. I think we went to Lincoln away and I scored and it was a tough old game. I remember Stanley getting his nose broken by Jason Lee. We had a, we had a good start. 
start that you could see the nucleus of a really good team there. You're right there, and you, and you scored three in your first three games, and and then you went eight without a goal, which I think was kind of unprecedented in the rest of your career. But John Ward sort of stuck with you. Was he a good man manager like that? Was he someone that when you were going for a bit of a rough patch, still gave you that confidence? Very much. John understood the game. John was. I think the, probably the biggest thing with John, he was very honest with people. If you weren't doing your job, he'd tell you. If you, you know, he, he was very helpful in that, and probably gave you that confidence where listen, if you ain't quite dropping for you in front of goal, make sure you're affecting the game in other ways. Can you be creating goals, be a nuisance? So yeah, it was always very much a team thing that you all worked as part of, but John did it in the, in the right way. He'd have a word with you he needed to, but I think he knew as long as the boys were all pulling together that your time had come and the goals would start flying in again. And they did, and, and you, you inevitably got back on the score sheet in a 3-0 win over Rochdale. And, and obviously as a striker, you are relying on, on having the service, aren't you? And, and it must have been a dream to play alongside someone like John McCarthy who I was looking back at some of the goals that season with so many assists from John for you yeah massive people say to me now best players you've played with and I put John up there as a centre forward I used to think I used to bully him a bit because I used to say to him when you get the ball you make sure you pick out you know so I'd sort of he was that sort of player you could get you know he's such a nice lad he's a good friend of mine John and he was a sort of player that when you get it as a centre forward you do nothing else but go and get in the box he's not going to cut back he's not going to play a one to he's going to the byline as a centre forward couldn't ask for any more from a, a winger than John that you think he's going to go by the lad and I've just got to make sure I put myself in the right position because you know you're going to get a chance from it most of the time and it was an incredible season where, where he scored 21 goals in 40 games and four of those goals came in one game against Scunfort which was possibly the coldest I've ever been at a match and I had a, a big coat on um, I mean it was effectively played in, in the middle of a snowstorm wasn't it were you worried after getting the sort of first three that it might get abandoned and the, the result might get expunged half time I remember sitting there because I maybe got two before half time and I remember sitting there thinking this could get cancelled but we actually came out and I think it was a little bit better second half they'd cleared the lines and a friend of mine who was playing against me I still chat to quite a bit now Matt Elliott because obviously he's involved around Leicester so I still speak to Matt quite a lot and we still have a chuckle about it now because he was obviously centre half that day so yeah I remember like you say the weather was not great and you get your first two goals and then you're thinking oh this doesn't get called off but I remember coming out second half and it, it was a little bit better still a lot of snow about but yeah still nice memories to go and score four in any game and that was sort of in the era before multi-ball wasn't it so did, did you keep the orange match ball and do you still have it now yeah yeah still got it still got all my match balls on hat tricks I, I wind my missus up sometimes because they're up in the loft in a box up there with everything else and you're like come on these have got to mean more than a box you know so I don't I can't remember how many actual hat tricks I got maybe got six seven eight I'm not sure is the honest answer but uh, yeah still got the match ball from that and uh, still good memories of it and, and another match ball you got was at Barnet wasn't it in, a, in another 5-1 win which was Alan Little's first game after John Ward left I mean again I watched that back recently and you were sort of hugging Alan after the final whistle as were many players it's clear that you all kind of had a great affection for Alan and, and I've interviewed a few other players former teammates of yours who, who said they had no doubts about him kind of taking that job on and, and steering you to promotion were you the same ill? Yeah massively obviously Alan had been working with the boys anyway with John and then when Alan stepped up you just knew he wasn't going to change he wasn't suddenly going to be a different person to what Alan was very honest expected you all to work hard work hard for each other big team man and I think we were all really chuffed that day but I remember it was a hot day the pitch was bobbly baking up we had great away support in that big corner I remember the away support there was big it was a big old game with Barry Fry I always remember looking over to the Barnet bench and there was a lad with a cigarette one of the subs smoking his cigarette and always one of the memories that stick in my mind you know that was Barnet for you at the time you know but I know I ended up playing for Barry so you know I know what he's like but that was a big result on the day big result Blackie was great you I think Blackie got a goal that day powering through. He hit the bar on the side of the bar. So I've looked back at that game a few times and some really good memories from it. And so many goals, and I mean this is a huge compliment, were quite similar in the fact that, you know, you played off the shoulder of the last defender and, and you were a real goal poacher. Once it came in the box, you'd sometimes only need one chance and that would be it. Did you practice finishing in training or, or was it kind of a natural instinct of yours sort of growing up? A little bit of both. I was always, I always loved scoring goals as a kid. I'd got one, I wanted two, I wanted three. So that was always a natural instinct in me a little bit of learning the game knowing when to make your runs I always think as a centre forward as long as you're gambling one way or the other as long as you're not stood and you're being proactive so as that ball's going to come you're either in front of your man or you're making a run behind him I think the lads that you see when they lose the confidence a little bit as a goal scorer they sort of react once the ball's gone you see a goal scoring form you know you think oh he's a yard in front of the defender he sees things a little bit earlier so I think all you can do is give yourself every opportunity by being proactive in the box 
and then you need a little bit of luck. And did you model your game on anyone in particular sort of growing up? I didn't know who you supported, for example. No, not really. I mean, obviously, I was a big Leicester fan, but I also I used to love watching Liverpool with Dalgleish and Rush and people like that. So they were always big favourites. You used to like the old stick your backside into the centre-half and turn him and that sort of centre-forward. So no one really. But that Liverpool front two I used to like as a, as a kid. That's funny that. My, my dad said that when I was telling him I was going to be interviewing you. And he, he said, I, I bet he says Ian Rush. They're a great forward line. That Liverpool team had a great forward line. It must have been a, a really satisfying kind of moment. The season's culminating getting to, to Wembley, particularly as, as, like I say, a year before with Stoke, you were sub not used. How did it feel for you going back as, as sort of like a key player for York and, a, you know, one of the main men? Oh, amazing. Amazing day. I think as a young kid growing up, whether it's still the same for the players nowadays that see Wembley, maybe like we did in our day, it was a pinnacle to go and get to play at Wembley Stadium was just an amazing, as a young boy dreaming of it and driving up. I, I was watching, because obviously Tony Cannon put the video diaries on and I've sort of watched through them. Some great memories from that. One of the best memories I had was Doddy the bus driver who we had all the time and we had a police outriders with us taking us through the streets stopping all the roundabouts were cut off and Doddy was on the wrong side of the road from and I remember going up Wembley Way and arriving at Wembley and as I was getting off the bus I said you know I can remember looking at Doddy bless him who's passed away now and saying you enjoyed that didn't you he said Barney that was the best day of my life the whole build up to the game and it was just so new to us nowadays as a player you probably get more opportunities to play at Wembley you know but it just as a young lad it was the pinnacle of anybody to go and play at Wembley Stadium and, and I think it was a great day for hopefully all the York fans and I don't, was that the first time York had got to Wembley? That's right yeah and it was, yeah. It was my first season I started watching him as well so personally it was, it was special Very special and and, and obviously to the game as it went as it did I thought that we played really well in the game and maybe should have won it before penalties and obviously the late handball as we know but we'd practice penalties Alan Adders practicing penalties the whole week or two before that and I think we always felt confident confident that Dean would save one you know we had a great keeper in Dean who we always thought at least save one of them and I think everyone just kept to their guns probably the worst penalty was mine probably didn't realise half an hour before the end of that game I twisted my ankle really bad and I carried on playing with it but if you probably see after the final whistle I've got my boots off and my ankle swelled up like you wouldn't believe but I can remember taking the penalty mine was probably the worst one but luckily it went in and I think we always knew Dean was going to save one and then when Wayne obviously put the uh, the winning penalty in what a great feeling great feeling as a club and I think the, the biggest thing is that whole team were, were such great lads very down to earth and probably starting to enjoy some of the rewards they'd never had before but I think as a group we just we enjoyed the whole experience together and then to cap it off at Wembley with a, a win in the uh, in the playoffs was fantastic you mentioned about your ankle there I think it, it was one of the longest run-ups I think I've ever seen to a penalty it so was because I, I think the commentator on the game thought you were suffering with cramp I think I, I really turned it bad and like I say the next day my ankle was huge black and blue I think I needed that distance just to get some speed up <laughs> the, the next season 93 94 you, you picked up exactly where you'd kind of left off and two on the opening day against Swansea and another memorable campaign for York fans you know as, as the team came fifth in division two you had quite a few good partnerships in your time at York particularly in an era where where teams did used to play two up front like Sir John Borthwick early on Paul Baker Nicky Peverell but I almost felt Steve Cooper really complimented your game I mean God, God rest his soul yeah. what a leap he had it looked like you really enjoyed playing alongside Steve yeah very much and like you say uh, God rest his soul I was at the funeral there when he passed away and there was a super guy was Coops very unselfish to play with do always one that if I can get you a knockdown and you score that's great and obviously I remember we were playing pre-season and Alan came and spoke to me he said listen I'm going to sign Steve and he'll be great for what you know we want and everything I remember he played a pre-season game and he took off on this leap and I was like gee where's he and obviously he was a talented guy with and he, a real team player and I think when you get two people working well together and genuinely wanting to work well together it does work uh, it, you know it was a great little partnership and the same with John Borthwick who I got on really well with as well you know great to play up front with and Bates you know who's an out and out goal scorer as well so probably a little bit different that Bates was probably a little bit like myself probably enjoyed scoring goals more than sort of liaising and playing with you but a real top class goal scorer in his own right there was some cracking games that season I mean beating Cardiff 5-0 at home Blackpool uh-huh. away 5-0 which I think is still the biggest ever football league win away from home for York City and it, and it it just seems that it must have been a really enjoyable kind of group to be part of because I was looking at it I think Alan only used sort of 16, 17 players through the whole season I mean you must have been quite 
quite closely knit as a group. Yeah, it was. It was a really great dressing room. Uh, some real characters in there. And probably one of the biggest characters involved with the club was the groundsman, Fozzy. Again, bless him, passed away quite a while ago. But as a character, you ask any of the boys you've interviewed and say, what was Brian like, the groundsman? He was absolutely crazy. But we'd go with the bookies with him in the afternoon. I'll tell you a story. I remember going, we went to the bookies in the afternoon. It was a midweek, so we didn't have a game. We ended up drinking on the way into town. We went to a few bars in town. He's got his wellies and his groundsman, dirty jeans on. And we ended up in Toff's nightclub about half one, two in the morning with him on the dance floor in his wellies. And he's just little bits like that. You look back and think. And it was a super, super dressing room with no egos. But the biggest thing about that dressing room is... There were some top-class players in there. And unfortunately, I, I got to move on to higher things and John and Dean Kiley and Nigel Pepper got to do some bits. But there's probably another four or five players that could quite easily... You look at both our full-backs with Macca and Jinnah. Jesus, if they were playing modern-day football now, what level would they be playing at? And then you look at your centre-halves with Tuck, Paul Atkin and people like this. Great centre-halves and Pep in midfield and TC on the wing there. And he just... And John, obviously, McCarthy, who got to go on. You look through the whole team and there was the biggest thing about it was there was real quality within that team and boys that didn't mind rolling their sleeves up and having a go together and I think it was just really good timing for everyone it seemed to come together we had a great spirit and the club was going places and the fans were great every away game we'd get a really good following and I think it just all clicked together at the right time and it was so close to being in equivalent of, of the championship wasn't it with that defeat to, yeah. to Stockport in the playoffs yeah. I mean after that Blackpool game I think it started a run where you scored 14 in the next 15 games and by the end of the season you're 24 in 42 you also picked up the Billy Fenton Clubman of the Year trophy and like I said, I know the team fell short, but personally, you must have been delighted with, with, with that campaign. Yeah, I think we were just gutted at the end. I remember the Stockport games. I remember the away game. I had a chance. I think the keeper saved it. And then we ended up getting done it. Big Kevin Francis and Preecy up front. You know, they were, they were always a handful Stockport. They were a difficult team to play against. But I look back now and over two legs, I think was it 0-0 and 1-0 to them. Awful Edgley Road, whatever they play at pitch was bobbly. And that's probably one, two, two games that I look back on with a little bit of regret I felt like we were good enough to come through that is the honest answer but a great achievement after promotion the year before probably just showed the quality of players in the squad that we could then go on and, and hit the playoffs the following year as well Yeah and, and although the 94-95 season was, was less eventful for the team I think they came ninth incidentally Oxford have never finished as high as that since there were some really good wins I mean over Birmingham and Huddersfield and you scored yeah. another two hat-tricks as well Bournemouth away and Blackpool at home which were managed by Sam Allardyce at the time so you know to score a hat-trick against that defence I'm sure has probably got yeah. better over, over time but when I spoke to Nigel Pepper he, he felt that the team were just sort of one or two extra quality players short to sort of take the club onto the next level and he was always a bit disappointed that they never did that do you feel the same way look, looking back now or did you feel it at the time? I think probably the club was at the maximum as in wages they could pay to players things like that. If you really genuinely wanted to go up to the next level, you're probably going to have to step the wage budget up a little bit. And to do that, you've got to have, obviously, you've got to be getting seven, eight, nine, ten thousand 10,000 fans. And, and the chairman was never going to put the club in a position where he was going to gamble on that. And, and rightly so, rightly so, it was always a well-run club. And I think probably the, the club or that team had got to as maximum it could and it would have needed maybe another two or three to come in. But to do that, you'd probably have to got gone championship or Division 1 at the time or Premiership whatever it was players to come down and probably that was one step too many for us Yeah You were injured I think for the last seven games of that season and do you think they might have made the playoffs if you maybe were fit because I think I think they only missed out by three points in the end Yeah maybe It is one of them you look back and you think we probably just fell a little bit short Like you say if you're working on a squad of maybe then 16, 17 you only need a couple of injuries important injuries and, and it weakens as a team quite a bit I don't think any of the players if you asked them would, would look back and think regret anything I think and every one of the players and we got together maybe a year or so 18 months ago and I hadn't seen a lot of the lads before that in, in York um, Jeanette and his wife arranged it and a lot of the players got together that night and I think genuinely we're all really pleased to see each other and we, once you have a few drinks you can start talking again about the good times and, and they were brilliant times I think any player whether it's John or Dean Kylie that went on to play international football I think if you ask anyone involved in the team at that time or around the team 
team, whether it be Keith, you know, the secretary and people like that. I think everyone enjoyed the ride we went on and hopefully the fans enjoyed it as much as what we did. They certainly did. And, and I think if you look at what's happened since at the club, certainly in recent years, uh, I think that's why this podcast, I think, does so well that go back to sort of nostalgic eras when, when things were going well. 95-96 was, was a bit of a contrast really to previous seasons where York normally excelled in the league but struggled in the Cups. And this season was obviously remembered for one thing and that one thing only, and that was the two Man United games. I mean, 25 years on now, what, what, but your memories must still be so strong. What, what, I know you've, you've recently sort of done some interviews about it as well. What what, what are your memories of, of, of those two games? Obviously, when the draws made amazing uh, as a group of players, you come in training the next day and the buzz is fantastic. In your own mind, again, you're going back to when you were a kid, dreaming about Old Trafford, getting to play against Manchester United, thinking potentially who you're going to be playing against. Probably my first memories, real memories, looking back now, were going to the ground on the coach and the Man United fans looking at you like lambs to the slaughter, what's going to happen here? And uh, a funny story is a, a friend of mine who working at Leicester City at the time at the training ground ended up getting the groundsman's job at Old Trafford. And so before the game, when we're walking on the pitch, I'm going checking the nets and he comes over laughing. Keith Kent, his name was. And Keith came over to me. He said, what are you doing checking those nets? I said, I just want to make sure that when I score, it doesn't go through. And he sort of burst out laughing. So that's one of the fond memories, that little memories like that about the game. Probably the biggest memory is the actual game itself. How well we play. And that game at Old Trafford, anybody that watches back on that DVD, could have been four or five, quite comfortably. We played so well on the night. When you see Jinnah doing a step over to Ryan Giggs and turning away with the ball, it's just like memories that you can't change. So that, you know, that the whole evening, obviously the, the result, the away fans, uh, my wife was pregnant at the time in the away end and just fantastic memories. And I think any York fan and, and all the players, I'm sure if you spoke to them about it, have such great memories of that night. Looking back at the first goal, I mean, it's a little bit different to the sort of goals that you'd normally score for York. We mentioned earlier about sort of being a bit of a goal poacher and I don't remember you hitting too many sort of from long range like you did that night. Was that because of the surface or was that because you knew that there was maybe a young keeper in goal making his debut what made you take that chance I think I was probably just so happy to be at Old Trafford and if the ball's out I'm going to shoot <laughs> I think it was one of them. every opportunity I was going to get that night I was going to shoot and yeah I still cringe every time I watch the celebration after scoring that goal and I still get so much stick from my son every time I watch or or that comes up about scoring that goal so pre-planned and the celebration that, that was oh, the next question oh. actually about no not at all if you, if you rewound now I'd still want to score the goal but I might change that celebration but just again just sheer, sheer enthusiasm after seeing the ball hit the back of the net it's like wow what what a feeling something that you'll never never forget but yeah I think the biggest thing from that night was just how well everybody played and it was a, a real statement from boys in that team when you're playing against the two you know the boys that you're playing against that don't feel intimidated you feel confident enough to pass the ball about and put on performance like we did and like I mentioned there about Pilkington making his debut but it was a strong team wasn't it I think people sometimes yeah. have the wrong impression about that game and think oh well Man United rested a lot of players but I think there was still seven internationals that yeah. started that night and one of them wasn't David Beckham I think who also played in the game no that's right you look back now and it's a, it's a great team on paper and they bring Steve Bruce on obviously and yeah you look back now and go through the team and it was a it's a, it's a strong team and, and obviously Sir Alex put a team out he thought was going to comfortably win that game and probably one of the biggest memories is the Manchester United fans staying to clap us off which was amazing again final whistle blows Graham Murty's down on the floor because he was injured so we all check mm. how he is but I can remember walking off the pitch and probably 50% of the Man United fans there that night had stayed to clap us off what a memory that is getting clapped off at Old Trafford on the back of a 3-0 victory yeah absolutely and a couple of other things I wanted to talk about again before we move on I mean the, the penalty what, what a fantastic ball over the top from Andy McMillan I mean was that again sort of instincts of playing with him for so long that, that you just kind of knew to make that run and yeah I think so I think Mac had great ability that like that and he knew that I loved chasing the ball over the top and obviously um, McGibbon, Pat blessed me. I think, I don't know if it was his debut or, but once I got the other side of him, it was always going to be, you're either going to take me down or so I'm going to go through and score. And as soon as he took me down, and I still talk about this, my son, now you've got to be clever in football. As soon as he took me down, I went and got the ball and put it straight on the spot. I thought, if this referee's in any doubt, I'm going to change his mind because as far as I'm concerned, it's a penalty. So I always remember to this day, go straight away and getting the ball and putting it on the spot as if to say, no, no, this is a penalty, you know? 
I, I didn't know if that was to stop Nigel Pepper from taking it. <laughs> it's funny because I, me and Pe- when I first came to the club, Pep was on penalties, and I used to think, "You bugger, I could get myself another ten goals a season here." But he was so good at it, and then um, he must have missed one or two for me to get the opportunity to uh, to get on the penalties. But he uh, he had a good record over his time when I was there, didn't I? Just finally, before we move on from that game, the offside goal. I mean, I've watched yeah. that pack so many times; it's it's never offside, is it? I mean, that back could have been the the perfect hat trick. <laughs> No, I know. And not long after, obviously, I went to Birmingham and Steve Bruce came to Birmingham as well. And he joked, the first thing he said to me was, God, you should have had a hat trick. Remember you playing a one-two round me? He said, you're never offside, were you? I said, no. So we were joking about it when he joined Birmingham. And obviously, and I, I was at Birmingham at the time. But no, you look back, one of the funniest stories, I went to Old Trafford when I was at Burnley. I used to go to quite a few European games. And I went with a, a friend of mine and he sort of said, oh, which end did you score, Paul? And I said, both. And that was the end of conversation, you know. So some great memories, great memories of that night. And, and did Man United treat you any differently for the second leg? Did they they pay more attention to you or man mark you? I think they were smart in and someone like Alex Ferguson wanted to put it right. I think he took that as a, I mean, he was very good towards us afterwards in the press and everything. But I think he knew that second leg, he wanted to give us a good hiding and put it to bed sort of thing. So obviously it was Cantona was one of his first games back and Scholes comes in. And, and I think they scored two early-ish goals goals which again put the pressure on but again I just remember the whole buzz of the night you look at the touchline it was full of reporters all the way along the touchline I think <laughs> Bootham Crescent was uh, creaking at the seams that night I think everyone knew they could get in there got in there that night and again just a, a great evening just to finish the job off and certainly after going two goals down early doors it could have been quite easy to crumble there but no another another great night and was it definitely Scott Jordan's goal on the night <laughs> well, <laughs> sort of both hit it at the same time didn't you practically yeah I'm more than happy to let Scotty have that I'll take the ones away from him he can have the home goal but I still couldn't tell you now who scored it I must admit more than happy to let Scotty have it and, and the next round I mean QPR away which I think is one of the best atmospheres I've ever been sort of yeah. part of as a York City away following and, and we scored you scored really early on didn't we were you sort of thinking here we go again with another Premier League team yeah very much I remember Ray Wilkins playing for them I think that night and I remember chatting to him when the ball sort of went out of play and uh, yeah again it was going in front and I remember Again, like you say, the away support was was fantastic that night. What did it end up? Three one was it? Three one, yeah. Three one, yeah. And again, we gave real credit to ourselves and put in a really good performance. And yeah, I think again, good memories from that night. And I think it, it didn't sour the taste of the Man U one. I think we felt like we'd done ourselves credit all the way through. And probably some of the boys got moves off the back of that cup run. John went on, I went on, and Nigel Pepper went on, and Dean Kiley. So it probably showed other clubs outside of York that there was good players at the club that could go on to higher things just a few days later the, the club lost 6-1 at Peterborough and I, I think it's sort of common knowledge that Douglas Craig had a bit of a moan yeah. on, on the coach on the way back I mean did that sort of lack of appreciation have any bearing of you sort of leaving or was it inevitable that you were going to move on no I think with the Peterborough thing it was more I felt like after the United game I didn't feel Douglas came in and gave the boys the credit they deserved maybe and then the first chance he got to hammer us he did at Peterborough when he came on the bus and sort of you boys were a disgrace today and everything and I just thought nah this is wrong what happened at Peter I can't even remember the game but I just felt like you're out of order here my friend and had my say as well and probably it tainted things a little bit between me and Douglas but I don't know it's, it was sort of I felt it needed saying at the time and the, the one thing I, I can say now about Douglas and I, I bumped into when we got together what Andy what Jeanette sorted out um, Keith was there the secretary and I asked if he still saw Douglas he said he did I said pass my regards on no hard feelings what Whatsoever. I think when I spoke to Douglas about things and, and I left not long ago, he said, listen, this football club at York City, I can only pay you what I can pay you. If I pay out a pound more than I'm taking in at York City, it's a bad football club. And I totally understood that. He probably felt I'd outgrown the club on probably where my wages needed to be or what I needed. And he probably felt it was a good time to cash in and take some money back in for the club. So there's certainly no hard feelings from my point of view. And like I said, I said to Keith, please pass on my regards and say hello. You know, it didn't tarnish any bad feelings or any any of the good sides of York City for me. Just it happens in football. Things happen sometimes and and you move on. Yeah. I mean, you did leave in March, signing for Birmingham, like you said, but by which point you'd played 179 league and cup games for York. York City, 85 goals, 10th in the all-time top goal scorer list, four hat-tricks, 13 braces. You were voted literally um, a couple of weeks ago in the all-time Booth and Crescent. I saw 11. that. 
fantastic. I was up in York on business a couple of weeks ago and pulled up outside the ground to go and have a look again. Just, you know, because I know obviously the ground and, and my wife's got some seats coming from the ground for us to use in the in the garden there, which we've got to pick up in a few weeks' time. Great memories. Great memories of just a proper football club. Ran well. Great support, lovely city. I had great memories of living there and a great bunch of lads. I think you could put us all together now and we'd have a great night and chat over some really good stories. And you signed for, for Barry Fry, who I presume was just sick of you scoring against his his teams. I mean, seven in 15 in the first division. What, what was he like to play for? Because he was a character, wasn't he? When you're winning games, Barry can get away with how he is. As soon as you start losing games, people can question things. I remember... Meet him in NEC at Birmingham Airport with my wife, chatted over contracts or whatever. And I said, oh, what, Joe, coming from a medical tomorrow? He said, medical, you're playing on Tuesday. Don't worry about that. So we come outside the hotel and he starts dancing around the car park, singing, I'm so excited. So I'm me and my wife have just stood there. We've got Barry Fry dancing around the car park, coming on, I think it might have been the Monday or Tuesday. So I came in on the Monday to the training ground, no kit. I've got a I've been to Jamaica t-shirt and some old shorts to wear. He turned around to Ed Steen, who was the assistant, and said, Where's the balls? Steen said, I thought you had them. So we didn't have any balls. So I'm sitting there thinking, oh my God, you've got a dressing room full of about 20 strikers. He used to collect them, Baz. You know what I mean? And I'm thinking, what is going on here? But again, there's some really nice memories of Birmingham. But obviously, Barry went, as I said, when when results are going well, Barry can be Barry, he'll get away with it. When results turn the other way, people start asking a few questions. Questions. And then obviously Trevor came in and, and I got on really well with Trevor and he was really honest with me. And I sort of went to Trevor and said, listen, I've had two, three years of playing every week and I still want to be playing football. It's what I love doing. And he said, no, totally understand. Because he, he had Mike Newell there. He had Paul Furlong. And like you say, my record there was great. Nearly a goal every other game for them in that division. And he sort of said, if someone bids what we paid for you, then I'll, I'll let you go and go and play some football. So I presume yeah. it was an easy decision to yeah. kind of move to Burnley because the management team was was Adrian Heath who you played with at Stoke and, and John Ward who obviously had so much success with at York City in the early days am I right was that kind of really straightforward move for you yeah I got a phone call one afternoon from Trevor I was, we were staying with um, my wife's parents at the time because we were looking for a house around Leicester I got a phone call from Trevor saying listen we've agreed a fee if you want to go you can so I said yeah that's fine I'll go up the next morning so I remember travelling up to Burnley and I remember playing against Burnley as a real top you know I always remember it as a real good club to go and play against the old long end there as it was when they were standing at the time you know a real northern football town so I knew a little bit about the club and obviously having John there helped so I remember going up the next day and Adrian Heath I knew well from Stoke and so it got agreed quite quickly and onto the onwards and up to, to the next sort of challenge It's a tough start for you particularly oh. as a record sign in eight, eight games without a goal and then to kind of smash that you scored all five in a 5-2 win over Stockport which is a good way to pay them back for the 94 playoffs I mean two headers two right foot one left foot I mean I noticed that Adrian Heath took you off with two minutes left to go obviously to give you a standing ovation I mean you must have felt on top of the world that night yeah really strange because I always think I mean, normally I'd get one in two that would be my sort of record and I remember a few of the lads at Burnley jokingly giving me some stick you know what I mean and I remember after the game coming in and we had Mark Wynn Stanley who was a funny lad beef we used to call him and I remember coming in after the game I said look one in two five in nine I just don't tell you I was going to score every week didn't you know so I remember having a joke about about it but yeah big relief because like you say you go into a club as a joint record signing whatever it was at the time and I was playing okay you had Kurt Nogan up there with me and Nogues was an out and out goal scorer and I was shooting the keeper would save it he'd be rolling on the line and he'd kick it in it was just a spell as a centre forward you think when's one going to go in for me and I felt like I was still playing well without actually getting that first goal so come away after that game with five goals was yeah it took a little bit of pressure off and another good day and I presume it kind of soured a little bit once they left that management team left and Chris Waddle came in who I imagine was probably good to train with given uh, his ability as a footballer but but maybe not good to play for yeah it was a strange one with Chris it was probably his first job as a as a manager probably at a league level that he didn't really understand the players as in he was probably trying to get players to do things that they couldn't do I mean, he was playing sweeper for us in some games it was like you got Chris Waddle playing sweeper for you he had Glenn Roder there with him again they've been at the highest level of football all their lives and they were coming down to the league we were at at the time with Burnley I don't really think they ever got 
got to grips with the lower leagues of football and Chris was travelling every day from Sheffield and I, I just felt like they probably didn't understand the club or what, what was needed in that division to be successful. And, and you went on to play for Huddersfield and then Bury and I noticed you scored in a, a 5-0 win at Blackpool which is obviously quite a common occurrence in your career. I mean, did you have certain teams or, or sort of grounds that you really liked playing at that you that you always did well at? Yeah, Blackpool I used to love. I don't know why. I always used to bang goals in for fun against Blackpool. Yeah, you, you always get certain teams you always feel confident like you're going to score against. I always used to think I'd score first game of the season. I remember John McCarthy before we played. It might have been the Swansea game, was it, where I scored two in the first yeah, game? that's right. Always remember before the game chat with John, I said, I'll, I'll score today, don't worry. He's going, you can't say that. I said, no, 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 honestly, I will score today, John. And he was like, oh, you've, you're going to voodoo yourself now and all this. And I said, no, honestly. And then you go and score two. And I always felt like if you got off to a, a good start of the season, he set you up for the for the rest of the season. So there was always a few clubs like Blackpool and people like that, Stockport and Preston and a few like that. You always felt you're going to get your goals against. Just when it looked like your goal scoring had sort of exploits had, had settled down a little bit, you got 26 for Doncaster top yeah. scorer in the whole league and captain yeah. into promotion in 2003 I mean was Donny just a sort of good fit at that stage of your career and I think Andy Warrington was there with you as well wasn't he was. it? yeah I loved it it was strange I'd gone to Bury from Huddersfield I'd gone to play for Neil Warnock again from my second or third and we got relegated and it was tough as a an older pro in that Bury team because it sounds like the fans always turn on the older pros it's just the way it is and I think I had a I was out of contract at Bury that season and with about a month or two to go, Preece had took over because Neil had got the sack, I think, or he'd left. So Andy Preece, our centre-forward, had took over manager and he took a couple of boys in on loan. So I wasn't in the team. There was about one reserve game left and I thought, I need to get out on loan here. You know, I'm not going to sit here. So he said, oh, Nuneaton have come in for you in the conference. So I said, yeah, I'll go. And he was like, what? And I said, no, 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 I'll go. That's fine. They've got, I had a look, they had about 10 games left. And I thought, if I go into the conference, bang a load of goals in, then you, I said, oh, I've always believed no matter what league you're in, if you're scoring goals, people will notice you. So I went to Nuneaton and I think I scored nine, 10 goals, something like that. And suddenly the, a move to Doncaster came about, who I knew were a big, big club in that conference at the time. Great owner, John Ryan. Funny, John was, he was the player plastic surgery guy had the company that did all that Melinda Messenger and all this yeah. so I remember meeting John in, in Manchester in Hale or Sale or something like that at one of the nice restaurants he's got the champagne out and so it, I knew it was a big club in that league and I knew they were desperate to get back into the league so I always knew it was going to be a, a club where you were going to be challenging at the top of the conference and, and hopefully a club you could go and make a difference to I knew how desperate they were to get back into the league and the final against Dagenham I think it was the first ever playoff final wasn't it from that division I was looking at it thinking it was quite poignant for you in, in a few different ways because I know it wasn't a Victoria ground but it was in Stoke wasn't it and that's where you'd had a bit of a tough time earlier on in your career and, and Mark Steen who was keeping you out of the team at Stoke he was playing for Dagenham that day wasn't he and you won 3-2 I mean it must have been a good time at the end of your career to play there yeah it was it was a great another great day Donny going back into the league was a big thing and I think it was a golden goal I think it was one of them as soon as we scored the game ended and it might have been the last ever golden goal don't know don't quote me on that but I definitely know we were in extra time and it was a nervous one because you thought as soon as someone scores it's game over and I remember making a run down the left hand side and knocking it across the six yard box for Franny Tierney who slid it in and the joy was just fantastic I was probably 36 at the time 35 I'm not sure but I remember thinking not doing bad extra time second half of extra time and you're making a run and squaring it and Franny put it in but that was a big thing for Doncaster to get back in the league was huge and it, you know I felt a big pattern I think I got the golden boot that year I remember going to Blackpool with the um, with Dave Penny who was obviously the manager and things like that so yeah some really good memories of Doncaster another super club and the away support we used to take there was we'd be turning up at the conference and be 3,000 Doncaster fans turning up these, these clubs are getting four or 500 people so yeah yeah it was really good times really good times yeah, man, that's a little bit like York now in the conference north it seems like Curzon and Ashton and, and filling the ground couldn't finish this interview without, without talking about your son Harvey who just seems to be getting better and better and better I mean his goal against Liverpool at the weekend was, was very Paul Barnes-esque I thought when he went clean through. I read an interview from when he was on loan at West Brom and that, that sort of made me chuckle and he, he said, oh, my, my dad says I need to play, play 500 games to have made it. And, yeah. that, and I know that would have been very much tongue-in-cheek, but do you see that as your kind of role as father and as an ex-professional to sort of keep him grounded? Yeah, very much. Difficult. Modern day football, they get a lot chucked at them. A lot of media exposure, things like this. Probably the main thing, I love his enthusiasm for the game. He goes into training every day with a big smile on his face. Uh, he's got a genuine love for football, which is great. He's a down-to-earth lad. He's he works hard at his game and and probably the thing I've loved most is 
from the age of 18, he wanted to get out on loan. And I was a big ad- advocate for get out there, get yourself kicked, learn the game at the lower levels. So that loan system worked out brilliant for Harvey. He went to MK, I think, when he was probably 18, did really well. The next season, he went to Barnsley, who were always going to be at the lower end of the championship, did really well. Leicester called him back, which was probably the wrong decision, but they did. Didn't get to play a lot that second half of the season in the, for Leicester. And then it sounds like he actually went up to Leeds to the training ground to have a look round. And it was going to be Leeds or West Brom that he joined and he, he actually went up to Leeds and they met all the staff and they're really lovely people at Leeds but I just felt West Brom was the right fit for him and I think he felt comfortable there I knew if they did what they should they'd be at the top end of that championship you had Gareth Barry Jake Livermore Jay Rodriguez Gailey came on loan I felt like Harvey was going to be around players that had come out of the premiership so that was the next step up for him but probably the every challenge you sort of give Harvey so far he stepped up to which is great. And I've, I've always, probably a little bit of old school mentality I still try and keep with Harvey now. I've always said to him, when you go to a club on loan, you stay over. If the boys go out for a drink, you go with them. You've got to buy into the whole what that club's doing. And it's just sort of gone from strength to strength. And probably his last season at Leicester, I think he ended up with six or seven Premier League goals. And he, he missed a lot of chances. And he kept going, which I love. You know, I used to say to him, listen, mate, there was a time I went more than one game without a goal, you know, tongue in cheek with him. But, you know, I'm a big believe that you keep going you work hard and he's at a super club now with Leicester with a good manager who knows how to deal with the young ones they've got great facilities but probably the biggest thing and you you know if anyone watches Harvey a fair bit you'll see he's got a genuine love for the game and he's got a, a genuine love to want to take people on and I sort of from a young age probably the one of the biggest things I've always given to Harvey and probably to any young player if anyone asks me any advice just be really positive I always feel like if the ball comes to Harvey's first touch is always I'm going to run at you and then I might have to check out and play the ball backwards but my first thought is I'm going to run at you. I'm going to make this as difficult as I can for you. So I see that in his game and I see him developing and working as a team. But, but yeah, it's 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 proud when you see your son had someone ring me today and said, oh, I was chatting to Harvey about something. Can I just say what a great lad he is, you know? And and, and that's nice when you, you don't just hear the football side of things. You get to hear that you're getting compliments about how Harvey's dealing with. He's on the Zoom meeting now, I think, with some of the young lads from Leicester's Academy who are asking him questions and things like that. So maybe you're proud to see what he's doing on the pitch but also as much probably how I see him off the pitch as well and I think you're right about that comment about the loan spells because when you were sort of coming through as a young footballer you mentioned about reserve team games that, that was sort of men's football wasn't it whereas academy football you can play quite a lot of games and sort of reach the age of 22 and, and never have got into men's football so, so maybe those loan moves really did help develop him and, and maybe put him ahead of schedule compared to some of the other players that would maybe just filtering around the academy system yeah definitely I mean the academies are great they do unbelievable work with the kids but I just feel there's a time when you've got to step into the big world of football and realise three points matter on a Saturday if you lose your man from a corner and he scores that causes problems and certainly down the lower leagues if, if that, that team loses out and don't get 200 quid 100 pound bonus money it means a lot to the players and they're not going to be happy with you and it's, it's all that grounding of you've got to earn the right to be able to play at the higher level and I always felt the nice thing is I think if you can do it the way that Harvey's done it by working your way up through the leagues and, and achieving then you get another challenge put and you challenge again and I've always said to people keep challenging half you'll be surprised he'll step up every time and he'll, he'll you know he'll give it as good a go as he as he possibly can did he ever watch you play live or just I was trying to work out the time scales of whether he might have been a bit too young Ooh, probably wouldn't remember watching live he still has a laugh sometimes what I showed him the other week oh yeah when I got sent off at Bradford in front of the main stand there for a horrific tackle we were laughing about that you know I said well that was a normal tackle in my game mate you know so we still have a laugh about something and someone sent me a goal I scored for Stoke the other week and I said I sent it to him and he was laughing about that so he um he still we still have a laugh about things together and but yeah super proud to see what he's achieving super proud to see how he deals with things and just sad we can't be in the stadium enjoying it but hopefully the way things are going now with the vaccine and everything hopefully we'll all be back watching the clubs that we love and get to see the football live again because I know we're all missing it yeah because that was one of my, my final questions was, was about his England debut against Wales because you must have been incredibly proud to sort of see him you know have the three lines on his shirt but then frustrated the fact you know because of Covid there's no crowd in to see it and you can't be there either yeah real mixed of feelings I'm immensely proud he was training in the morning I knew the England squad was going to be announced that day I sort of forgot it in the morning and, and I knew I think they announced it at 1 
one o'clock and he, he rang me about 12 o'clock or something and he said, oh, are you in? I said, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm in. He said, oh, I'm going to pop back. The food was rubbish at the club. I'll pop back and have a sandwich with you. He only lives a mile or so from us. So he popped in and I said, well, listen, mate, I said, at least they're talking about you now of being in and around that England squad. I'd seen a bit of Sky saying rumours are maybe Harvey Barnes is getting close. This might be one squad too early for him. And, uh, and that's when he said, I'm in. It's like, wow. When he scored um, that cracker against Man United, were you sort of reminded yeah. him of your record against them? Well, it was funny because I think, was it 20, 25 years to the day? Because I think maybe Guy Mowbray was doing the commentary and, in, yeah. and sort of said, the funny thing is, so many years ago today, his dad was scoring against Manchester United as well. So yeah, I, I, it's, I said there's not many father-sons, I don't think, that have scored against uh, Manchester United. We've got to do a, an interview together tomorrow, actually, for the uh, Mail on Sunday. I think it's going in this week because they play Villa. And I said to him, don't get too embarrassed when they bring up my goal record and yours, will you? You know, I said, you've got plenty of time <laughs> to try and get near it. So I give him a bit of ribbon about it. But, um, but you know, it's, it's a good relationship we have and I don't try and get involved in too much much he's got a great agent that does really well and is very down to earth and, and does real good work with him I just like to think there's little hints I can give him or little tips I can give him that usually if they're playing on a on a Sunday then like with Trent Arnold this week we'll have a little chat about that and think hopefully how you can help him a little bit you know on how things our players play and but he you know he takes things on board he wants to learn and like I say he's a great club at Leicester that are giving him every opportunity to develop and, and hopefully go on to be a top class player really. Paul, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you. Thank you so much for giving up your time. Yeah, and any York City fans that are, are listening, I just say what unbelievable memories I've got of, of York City in the time there and I wish them every success going forward at the new stadium and um, I'd love to think before the end of the season, if we're in the new stadium, I'd love to come along and spend a bit of time with the York City fans again and like I say, it's, it's a very special place in my heart and as do all the lads that I played with, you know, like I say, I've got some great memories of all those and it was a great time for me and my family and my wife we still had you know some great memories from there so every success to York City going forward So that's the end of another series of York Hospital Ball. Absolutely delighted to get Paul Barnes on. Probably the most requested guest, I think, that between series, people normally say, you know, when are you getting Paul Barnes on? So I was delighted to finally be able to do that. And you might notice I sort of hesitated a little bit at the start of the interview, and that was purely me just getting absolutely starstruck, thinking, oh my God, I'm talking to Paul Barnes. And that doesn't normally happen. I mean, I've done quite a few interviews now, so I thought I'd got past it being a little bit giddy. But yeah, Paul Barnes, obviously, considering what he'd done in his York City career, I think it's probably no surprise why he was a person that I was like that with so thank you to so many people for this series I have to say massive thank you to James Charters who is our sort of producer and editor he spends so many hours piecing it all together and getting rid of all my mistakes basically so massive thank you to him huge thank you to all the sponsors this series planning prospects for this episode and Paul Stancliffe episode Paul Bowser for Russ Howarth and Gary Ford and Mark Woodhouse for the first two episodes Jason Walker and uh, Martin Wolford also couldn't finish off without saying thank you to, to you the listeners once again at the time of recording this it looks like this is going to be the most listened to series we've ever done so it does keep growing series on series which which makes us really really proud and so many people have donated as well both via the tech service and uh, and the just giving page so again it makes a huge difference to us as a charity and um, also the, the comments which i've talked about before but i truly mean it anyone who gets in touch and says that they've enjoyed listening to it and never get bored of that and never will hopefully we'll do another series i, I do take it one, one series at a time and a few people have been asking about who's next and stuff like that I've got as ever sort of contacts seem to come to me whilst we're doing series so I've got a few of us to catch up on but it, it like I've mentioned a few times before it isn't my day job so it kind of has to fit in around around things that I've got going on but the more people uh, get in touch and say that they like like the series the more kind of enthusiasm we have to keep keep doing them and, and hopefully we will what I can confirm is though to finish off is that on July the 25th we will be having our York Hospital Ball live with Richard Brody. So Sunday, July the 25th at Haxby Sports Bar. There'll be some messages out soon about, about tickets for that. We should be able to have a, a bigger capacity than what we did before based on the lifting of restrictions. So Richard's all confirmed for that. Haxby Sports Bar have confirmed for that. And yeah, that will be happening. So more information in due course. So thank you for listening again and take care of yourselves and hopefully we'll, we'll see you again soon. Mm-hmm.